Welcome to Madcasters with our special guest today, Yuki Wakamatsu, dealing with the topic of the power of music. You have just tuned in to the difference makers of a new generation. If you want to learn how to make a difference in your life, if you want the skills in order for you to impact your communities, Madcasters is your podcast. I invite you to get ready because this is the launch pad for you to go mad. What's going on, everyone? It's your host, Brian St. Louis, BSL, and we're here with another episode of Madcasters where we learn how to make a difference. I believe that the only way to effectively impact our world is to first progressively change the way that we see ourselves. That mindset transformation will launch us to enhance our holistic lifestyle and subsequently impact the world. So here you will get the necessary tips, stories, and inspiration to learn how to make a difference in your life and in turn impact the world. Be sure to follow and subscribe to our podcast. We're basically everywhere from Apple, iTunes, Google, and if you would like to support this channel even more, you can become a Patreon supporter. That's P-A-T-R-E-O-N dot com backslash Madcasters. And you can choose whichever tier you would like to help support this channel even more. The more supporters we get in this realm equates to more episodes launched every week. And so if you see value in what we're doing in Madcasters, become a Patreon supporter. Thank you to all those who are currently supporting and to those who will be supporters. Today, our special guest is Yuki Wakamatsu, and she comes all the way from Australia. It's my first Australian guest. I'm really happy for that. And, you know, her vibe, her understanding of music, the impact that she's making in her communities. I think that this is such an amazing topic, an amazing method, and and what she's doing to build these relationships with uh, people who are on the spectrum. And, and individuals who have dealt with traumatic events in their lives, it's, it's so powerful as to how music can really change your life. Yuki, it's awesome to have you on our show. Uh, why don't you go ahead and just introduce yourself and let us know a little bit more about who you are. Yes, thank you so much for having me. Um, my name is Yuki, and I'm sure you can tell from my accent, I'm from Australia, and mm-hmm. I work as a registered music therapist. That's awesome. So, can you tell us exactly what a registered music therapist is? Sure. Um, so, music, ther- uh, music therapists work with people of a variety of conditions. Um, but what we do is we use music to help people's um, health and well-being, uh, to work towards their goals in health and well-being, uh, whether it might be more mental health focused or what I do in particular is I work with people with disability to help their fine and gross motor skills as well as their speech skills. Mm. Yes. So I, I mainly work with um, people with autism and I have a lot of clients who have either had a stroke or been in a car accident and have some kind of brain injury. So that is what I do. Yes. That's awesome. Yeah. What from what I remember, um, mm-hmm. from what I know in general, and when it comes to like music therapy, we know that there are individuals who who have had like some sort of background in music, and and uh, typically from that, you know, it it kind of helps them to remember things, or you know, it can help with the the process in which they're in which they're in. 
what whichever the case may be, you know, people who have dementia or people who have Alzheimer's. Uh, but what what exactly do you do that differs from this concept of just uh, using music as as a way to to help people in that regard? Mm-hmm. Sure. Yeah. So with those examples um, that you may have seen in the media, you know, around um, people singing with or people with dementia listening to music and then um, Mm. they're able to sing along. Uh, What music therapists do is we specifically try and use music for um, a specific goal. So for me, um, if I'm working with someone who is retraining how to walk again, um, Mm. then I would be playing Music. So uh, usually I play the guitar or the keyboard, depending on the session. So we we tend to use live music rather than recorded music. And, yep, so we really um, plan through, you know, what speed we want to start playing, exactly what chords to try and motivate people to do a specific movement, whether it's just lifting up their toe up and down from – from the ground, whether it's taking an actual stride, but we really try and um, plan out and match where the client's at in terms of like speed, distance, and trying to <clears throat> trying to try and use music um, and rhythm to motivate our clients to spe- um, perform a specific task. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, it's a little bit more than just using familiar music, um, drawing on their memory. Although um, in those areas, like for example, um, dementia, um, Parkinson's, I people tend to um, have that as a central focus. But for me specifically, the work that I do is a, a little bit different. I find that interesting. You said that you can help with with the person's rhythm as they're as they're moving um step by step and so Mm -hmm. you're saying that music so how does that like what's the science behind that how does Mm. the how does the music necessarily help with that individual and does that individual need to know music prior Mm. to in order for them to help no actually you don't so as humans we all tend to um entrain to strong rhythms um entrain just means that your body just wants to match that pattern um, mm-hmm. as, as humans, we always look for patterns in everything and we are very rhythmical beings, um, yeah. human beings. So if, even if you imagine how you breathe, how you walk, um, and just your heartbeat as well, we do rely on a lot of rhythm, um, in our everyday. And mm-hmm. when we listen to strong rhythms, for example, like a metronome beat is, we use metronomes a lot, um, in music therapy, um, specifically neurological music therapy, but we use a metronome just to set a pace. And when we do that, you'd find that your body naturally falls into a, a, a rhythm and a pattern, and we call that yeah. entrainment. Um, so that's, um, that's I suppose, the specific reasons why uh, it works. Um, so if you had tried to um, walk, and you heard music playing in the background, mm-hmm. you would find that your body naturally wants to match that music. So I always uh, say to people, if you're wanting to do some exercise or, you know, um, you're in the gym and you're trying to get through a certain number of sets of mm-hmm. 
an exercise. If you listen to music, that's actually matching the pace of what you're doing or um, matching the energy of what you're doing. It will definitely help you. I, I actually have to say I definitely do that. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> um, Especially with, uh, especially with at-home workouts nowadays, because you know gyms are kind of closed where we're at in Canada. Yes. Yeah. Um, but I always have music playing in the background, or there, or there's music that's playing with, with the uh, video, and you're going with the music. Mm-hmm. So, and I mean, I do that even when I'm walking too. So I don't know if that's weird, but, <laughs> but yeah, that's, that's that's yeah, I definitely agree with that in, in that way for sure. What, um, yeah, can, can you give us examples specifically of patients that you've, that you've worked music therapy with? Sure. Um, so just like the example I was giving of um, the walking, um, I've had people who have had strokes. Um, so specifically there was this guy who was, I'm no longer working with him, but I had maybe about two or three months working with him and he, had had a stroke, um, was unable to talk, was able to walk, except that he had a weakness um, over one side of his body. So it was kind of a little bit like a shuffle and he um, had to hold on to either a walking stick or um, his wife would help him walk as well. So Mm. our goals uh, for him were to be able to take more even strides um, and also to help a little bit with the speech production. So everything, if if you were to talk to him, he understood everything. It was just that he had a lot of difficulty with expressing, um, so using his words. So he loved ACDC. Uh, so we would use um, Highway to Hell or one of his, you know, favorite ACDC songs. Is they have all rock songs actually have like a really strong downbeat, do. yeah. and so they're they're really good ones to use if um, our clients like like that particular music. Um, yeah. So I would watch him walk, and what I would do is okay, uh, his feet naturally are moving at a certain pace. So then you would um, find a good speed whether it's like 50 beats per minute or whatever it is and you would listen to the rhythm together and try and get him to take steps so you're now evening out the steps and he it's also helping him control that movement so if he if you were if he was to walk without thinking about the music it would become quite uneven but as soon Mm -hmm. as he started listening and started thinking about okay i need to um, match the music, then he was able to take those steps a little bit, um, a little bit more evenly, and also he was able to take longer strides because his mm. brain was actually now able to plan when I'm going to take this step and how far I want to take this step. Right. Yeah. Um, so that was one way we were using. Um, oh, so so I would set the metronome and I would use a song that was interesting for him, like Highway to Hell. And I would play my, gu- my guitar and he would walk along. Um, at, do you know what parallel bars are? Like, Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, you, you might see them in um, physio gyms. But um, he was holding on to them. They just look like ballet bars, basically. Mm-hmm. And so he would have that on either side and we would take steps together. Um, so that's that's one thing that we were working on. And as well as that, with the speech side of things, um, he – of course, love, loved all rock and roll music, but using ACDC songs, we would um, kind of warm up his language um, 
side of the brain by doing some singing and he would actually be able to sing the songs and he would able yeah he was able to get many of those words out so we would use that um as one way of speech production but also we would plan out uh, specific phrases that he would use in his everyday so he liked to drink tea um so we would practice saying can i have a cup of tea but we would put that put that to a melody and we would sing it through together and over time he would be able to recall that sentence um is easier because of the fact that we were singing it through um with music so music really has that cadence to to, to mm-hmm. help uh balance out someone's life in, in yeah. that way can can you explain to us though how you're necessarily using that with with uh people who have autism because because mm-hmm. I, I haven't heard music therapy being used in a way to help out people with autism so mm-hmm. how exactly does that work because i i understand i'm seeing now more so with with your stroke patients or dementia and everything so but so how does that transition to the autism now? Sure. Yeah. So people with autism um, tend to have difficulties with social skills and also language skills. Uh, those mm-hmm. are the big two main areas. Um, but they can also present with finer motor difficulties as well. Uh, but I, um, I have many examples, actually. I've worked with so many people with um, so many autistic people. And um, they, when you engage in music, for example, if I was to just give you, uh, I know you're a musician. So if yeah. we were to, <laughs> so Brian plays the piano really, really well, which I found out last time we had a chat. No, and, not the piano. <laughs> oh, not the piano? It was the drums. Oh, the drums. Okay. Yeah. I used to play the piano very well, and then oh, okay. I lost. I just stopped. I'm so bad for that. <laughs> no, yeah, so if you don't use it, you lose it. That's um, yes, you know, that's yes. one of those things about anything in life. Um, but okay, we'll we'll circle back to that about your music. Yeah. But um, so if we were to play music together, let's just mm-hmm. say I was to play the guitar and you would play the drums. Sure. And. When we do that, if I was just to play randomly, what would you do? You would play in time. You would probably find something that fits in with what I'm doing with the guitar. Right. Yeah. It's a it's a highly social activity because you're mm. watching each okay. other, you're listening to each other. You know, if I stop and, you know, give you a space, you might do like a drum solo. And mm. so when music, engaging in music is just like having a conversation. You know, you're giving each other space, you're listening to each other. And so with people with autism, if they don't have, don't necessarily have those language skills, we're still able to engage in a way where they can build up those social skills that you might typically learn through, um, through talking. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So for my young clients, um, oh. you know, I might give them like bells or shakers or, you know, something really easy to play. And we would do turn taking activities, which is so easy because the process is just all audible. You know, once mm-hmm. I stop, then you start. And so in that kind of way, we can build up those social skills, um, sharing as well. So if we like stop and then like pass the instrument on to the next person. Um, but also uh, for 
so I those are examples where I might build it up with um, people who are nonverbal, so they don't have okay. to have uh, the ability to speak. But for the clients who do uh, have that ability to speak, um, gen- for some reason, people with autism really um, have a good connection to music, and it's possibly mm-hmm. to do with. Um, I, th- I suppose it's a case by case, but it is possibly to do with the fact that you don't really need those other fundamentals that we typically, like typically developing people have to be able to engage in music. Um, mm. But they are also uh, generally really good at picking up patterns um, and they're, they generally have a sensory sensitivity as well. So um, I have many clients who can like listen to a melody and then play it on the keyboard just because their ear is just so good. They can pick it up and then they can also remember really, really well where that um, sound corresponds to on the keyboard. Mm. Um, But I suppose because they already have that leaning towards music, it's a very, very engaging way for them to want to engage with other people, to interact and to learn. Um, the other thing, um, you know, if you, if they do have a lack of social skills or just, you know, that a lot of social anxiety, then with the other therapies or just other people in general in their life, they might just not want to interact with other people. Right, right. So as music therapists, we do kind of have that advantage of being a very engaging and motivating therapy for people with autism to join in with. Yeah. That's awesome. I I feel like that's a tactic or a a method that I've 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 never really heard that can really revolutionize the way that that people are able to to connect uh with with mm-hmm. um individuals with autism um mm-hmm. or or vice versa for them to connect with, with other people as well. Mm-hmm. Um let me let me ask cuz this is a very patient work it has to be um what what made you feel like you wanted to get into this line of work yeah um so uh i studied a masters of music therapy uh, to get my qualifications to become a registered music therapist but prior to that i was studying psychology so mm-hmm. i did my bachelor's degree in psychology and when i came to the end of my psychology degree um, I was looking around for other postgraduate things to study just because I knew I didn't want to become a clinical psychologist. Right. Um, yeah, I just, it just didn't sit well enough with me. I, I originally studied um, psychology because I thought mental health would have been my field. Um, yeah. But I was looking around for some other career options and other postgrad options, and that's when I found um, music therapy. And when I read up about it, I was just like, oh, this is really interesting. Also, um, I had grown up playing a lot of music. Um, I, was, I learned piano since I was six or seven, um, mm-hmm. and then I also picked up the cello and the flute. Uh, so, I, yeah, I had a very musical upbringing. Yeah, and, yeah. <laughs> and um, yeah, I came across this degree, and um, the more I read up about it, I was like, oh, wow, th- this is kind of – perfect for me it's a job Mm -hmm. where I'm helping people and um and also using these skills that I feel like up until my life had just like led me to you know do something like music therapy um 
but yeah, so originally um, what I read up on was that stuff about the the gait training and, um, you know, helping people with brain injury. And so that's the field that I really ended up in. But mm-hmm. yeah, I, um, you know, when you go and study a course, you really just, you don't know how much you don't know until you start. <laughs> start learning That's something so yeah and um so I suppose um you know I thought I would be more mental health focused just because of the fact that I had studied psychology but yeah I just found um a big passion for work in disability and specifically autism as well mm. do you were your were your parents very supportive of you um oh. to, to to move into this yeah yeah um my my parents are great. They they've just always been supportive of everything. Um, they, yeah, that I I know that they've always wanted me to do um, something that I've really enjoyed. But also, they mm-hmm. had a lot of trust in me to, um, you know, to really if to set a goal like music. There, yeah. you know, at the time it was probably lesser known. I mean, it's still not a widely known profession. Um, so you know, they had no idea what it was. But mm-hmm. they had a few people who were close to them. Like we have a family friend um, with an autistic uh, child. Um, we mm-hmm. also have like some physiotherapists who have uh, worked with music therapists before. So that we actually had enough people around my parents to say, oh, this is actually perfect for Yuki. Yeah. Um, <laughs> because, you know, it is kind of an expensive degree to go and um, commit yourself to. Um, but yeah, they, uh, yeah, they've always been really supportive, and you know, obviously, they supported my musical education up to that point as well. Um, so, yeah, I think my mom was really happy that I was actually able to use music, in whatever I was doing. Um, yeah, she she was a pianist herself growing up, so That's awesome. yeah. That's awesome. And my dad, I mean, he likes to think that he can sing, but <laughs> <laughs> no, probably too harsh. No, he can sing. He can sing. He loves to karaoke. We're Japanese, so yeah. you know, we, we love to sing karaoke. So. <laughs> that's awesome that's awesome what do you feel like uh throughout this whole experience you've been able to to learn the most about yourself or been able to um build in with, with within your character as you're as you're growing in this field because I, I once again i know i mean i don't i know we spoke a little bit about the whole fact that it's a, a patient work but mm-hmm. uh can you go a little bit deeper into into that yeah. Um, so I suppose, um, you know, growing up, I I was always a patient kid. And I think when you learn something like a piano, like the piano, and you have to build up that skill and you build up a lot of self-discipline, I think. Mm. Right. Um, you would know from your musical upbringing as well. Yeah. But, um, you know, you have to be able to sit by yourself in a room for maybe hours um, to to build up this specific skill. And I think through doing that, I did build up a lot of um, discipline um, mm-hmm. to do that. Um, like, because academically, like, I didn't really care about any of my other subjects. Um, it was just music and, um, you know, being yeah. at, good at piano. Um but uh, I also did a lot of tennis growing up as well and lots of other sports. Oh. But, yeah, no, with anything, like, I always wanted to do things to the best of my ability. And mm-hmm. um, I don't know if that's just, like, a personality trait or something that I just have built up through, um, you know, 
learning the piano and performing, competing and being, you know, heavily involved that way. And I think when you do um, build, when you do things like competition and, you know, in any context growing up, you do build up a lot of resilience, but also mm-hmm. patience and then also, you know, an ability to love yourself through that process and to be patient with yourself as well. Um, so I think it was all of those experiences growing up, but also my parents are just great people and they set really amazing examples. Like my my father, he was a professional gymnast. Um, mm. He was actually like an Olympic gymnast. So, he, I, you know, he was able to show us that, you know, if you put your mind to something and, you know, you work towards it, then you can achieve achieve things and, um, and my mom too, like she uh, was really amazing at the piano. And mm-hmm. I, th- I think just through looking up to them, um, and their examples, and they're obviously like really supportive of me, but just really generous and kind to other people as well. So I think it was that, um, you know, seeing them being so yeah. kind and generous and yeah, all of those values that just got instilled, um, you know, from a young age, I think that's probably what has helped me become a patient and, you know, kind person. <laughs> that's awesome. Yeah. Can you can you give us an example of how, let's say, one of your autistic patients were able to build their their social interactions with people um, mm-hmm. from from music therapy? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Um, so I have uh, so many, so many children that I could probably talk about, but um, there was this one child that he had um, a t- twin brother. They were both three and a half years old when I um, met them, and there was clearly one dominant twin, and then one you know, more submissive twin and mm. the, you know, the older twin, not the older twin, the more dominant twin. I don't know who, which one was older actually. Um, would just bully the younger one. Yeah. Oh, I keep saying younger, but the, yeah, the other twin. <laughs> and, um, yeah. <laughs> um, so I was working a lot with the, the one who was, you know, having more trouble with his speech and his, um, confidence. And, and they were both autistic. Yes, yeah. So oh, wow, um, cool. at that point, neither of them had had a diagnosis, but it was mm. pretty clear. Um, they were both oh, the the more submissive one was. Um, let's just give them names. Um, let's just call them John and Peter. I don't know. They're random okay. names just for confidentiality. So yeah. let's say John was the more shy one. Um, so John was referred to me, um, and because uh, through through his childcare center, there was like this. Mm. Um, uh, I was working at a childcare, um, like health center there as a music therapist, and the nurse there had um, referred them on, um, saying, you know, this child is um, has language delays and, um, you know, just overall confidence um, is lacking to be, and also social skills to be able to interact with the other kids. Um, and it was quite clear that he had some sensory issues as well, so. Any kind of loud noise, he would just, you know, cover his ears and just go, ah, just scream and just run away. So most of his um, interactions out in the world was him being highly anxious and distressed all the time. And even Mm. the first time that I met him, I went to their home um, to do the session. He... uh, 
didn't want me there. It was just like, no, 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 no. That was one word that he was really good at. But he was, it was just saying no and, you know, screaming, running away. And, you know, I said, you know, I'm not here to do anything scary and I and I took out my guitar and he became a little bit more interested but he was still in his in the corner of the room just hiding away from me mm. and um I started playing some songs I asked his dad you know what is um his favorite song which was it was probably something like Baba Black Sheep or Inti Winty Spider um so I was singing one of those really softly and um slowly and he you know slowly kind of came out from behind the chair and um, wanted to see what was going on and I would like give him a little bell and he would just like take it and hide it, hide again. And it was a little bit of that for the first session just, but you know, even by him taking something like an instrument from me was already a big deal because he just yeah. didn't like interacting with other people. Right. Um, from there we grew up, uh, grew like a musical relationship, I suppose, where he knew that I would come in, play his favorite songs, he would play some bells, and I would say, Yay, well done. And so it was really a fun interaction for him. And then he started, you know, singing along with a few mm. of those songs and actually sitting next to me, actually, like, you know, reaching out to strum the guitar that I was playing. So, you know, quite close to me. And so maybe after about, um, so they had funding for 10 sessions. So maybe around like session five or six, we started introducing his brother into the session. And at that point, because he was so confident in what we were doing, he was able to include his brother and not get intimidated or, you know, overpowered. Mm. Um, we would do a lot of sharing and turn-taking activities like how I was explaining before. And so now they were able to both interact nicely with each other because it was usually mm. Peter just you know trying to beat the crap out of the other one so it was um it was just like a really nice way to um for those kids to interact and also for their for their father their mother was always working so um he was the one that was um sitting in the sessions but it was mm. a nice way for the father to actually witness you know how the kids can interact how he could support the kids to interact in a nice way and at the end of that 10 week session um i the the childcare center that i was at had like a like a fair, like a social thing for the wider community. And so I was there as a music person. I was just running lots of um, musical activities for any kids who dropped in to this um, event. And those two boys came and they were able to interact through music with, you know, just a wider group of, of children. And so that was maybe one of the first times that John was able to have a really positive experience with many other children um, wow. just because he was so um, familiar with me personally but also mm -hmm. confident in being able to interact with me through these musical interactions. And by then he did have a few more words um, that he could use functionally. So he would be able to say, I want the bells or I want this song mm -hmm. or, yeah, along the lines of that. So that's one um, example of you know, a three-and-a-half-year-old boy um, that I've worked with. But um, I have some other really interesting cases. And there's this one lady that I've been working for maybe about two years. She is 29 years old, um, maybe almost 30, and she has a diagnosis of autism. Um, mm -hmm. But I think back when she was diagnosed, it was um, classified as Asperger's, which is within the ASD 
right. spectrum. But um, usually um, people who are diagnosed with Asperger's uh, are completely verbal. Um, so she, she's able to speak and from the outside looking in, um, she probably looks uh, like typically developing, uh, like, yeah, it's, um, neurotypical. Um, yeah. But she has huge amounts of social anxiety um, and she's also had a little bit of trauma, um, like sexual trauma, due to the fact that um, when she was a little bit younger, um, people took advantage of her because of the fact yeah. that she couldn't stand up for herself. And, um, sure. yeah, yeah, so she's had – trauma as well as her um, Asperger's um, and she has the sensory uh, processing issues as well. So any loud noises really freak her out, you know, get her quite anxious. Um, and around Christmas time, so this was really recently, um, it was a time, It's a, you know, it's a time when usually families get together, but she doesn't particularly have a good relationship with the, her extended family. So that was causing her a lot of stress as well as some other things that were happening in her life. And one day she woke up unable to speak. So she just yeah. completely lost her ability to use her words anymore. And um, what I understand from this is it's her brain's reaction to – it's like a coping mechanism because it's receiving too much information and it's just kind of shut down. So so she's unable to speak, which is causing her a lot of frustration. Also in like her immediate family, they all think like, you know, why are you doing this to us? Why are you making our lives more difficult? And so – so they're focusing yeah. on on their reaction rather than realizing the pain that yeah wow yeah but also for her um you know it's obviously she can't explain what's going on for her right. um and she's also a little bit scared you know she's this has never mm. happened to her so she's feeling really um overwhelmed with the fact that she actually can't talk she really wants to um but she can't and. I've actually had one other client before with um, selective mutism, um, but that was an, another different case, but I might talk about that later. Um, so I've, I have worked with um, people with autism who have stopped talking for whatever reason, and my way of working with that is is through song and, you know, and through music. And so I started doing, like, weekly home visits, and she is – so how many sessions have we had? Maybe about five or six sessions mm-hmm. um, since that's all happened. And she's able to sing with me and speak words with me, but we're still working on um, her being able to use it independently outside. In her, yeah. She's still unable to talk to anybody else. Um, but the way that we built up her speech skills at, at present is um, I started – uh, we started off with playing the kazoo. Do you know what a kazoo is? It's like I a little, yeah, yeah. It's a little. It looks like a whistle, but you don't actually blow into it. You have to go ooh, and you have to make mm-hmm. a sound for it to buzz and make a funny sound. So, um, we started um, doing some Christmas carols on the kazoo, um, mm-hmm. but she had a lot of trouble with actually making like a, a sound to make the kazoo work. So. Um, mm. What we started off was when I realized that she wasn't able to do that, um, usually you can kind of trick people into making a sound because it's not talking, it's not singing. Right. It's like just trying to make an instrument work. Um, right. But that, 
didn't work for her. So what we did was we went to the bathroom and I filled up um, a glass with water and I said, can you do that gargling noise? And I showed her and, and yeah. we did some gargling and she was able to do that. And when if you um, put your hand to your throat and try and do that gargling, you, go, uh, you can yeah. feel that vibration on your hand. Yeah, and so you need, that, you need that vibration for your voice box, for your voice to come out. If you were to whisper anything, like if you were to um, – I don't know if you can try it with whoever's listening. You can try it right now. If you whisper, you actually don't use your voice box. Like um, it, the vibration doesn't happen. Yeah. Oh, yo, that's crazy. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Yeah, so um, we needed that sound to happen. So that's why we started off with some gargling and we did gargling like jingle bells. And so mm. we're going, good, good, good. And that was like a really fun, funny activity that we did. But from there, I was able to go, okay, so you can feel that vibration in your throat. Now we need to use that and to play it with the kazoo. And after that, we had kind of pieced that puzzle piece together. So we mm -hmm. went into doing the kazoo. And when you do the kazoo, um, usually you'd make like an ooh sound. So then we started taking away the kazoo and going ooh, 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 mm -hmm. ooh. And then from there, I started adding like random little words, uh, words like bells, 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 bells. And so, so through that, we were able to build up her singing ability, and then through that, I was able to build up um, her speech. Um, so we would wow. sing certain phrases and then just transition that slowly over into a spoken phrase. So um, that's kind of the process if you wanted to see, you know, what it might yeah. look like. Um, and, and you saying that took five weeks to, to or five oh, sessions? No, so actually we got to um, – maybe in the first two sessions I was able to get her to say um, a few phrases. But um, oh. now, now it's just about reinforcing that and just making her comfortable again with using her voice mm -hmm. um, and also deal, dealing with that stress that had caused the onset of this to happen because, you mm. know, if you don't take care of the cause, then um, – you know that that's really the important part. So, so just also working through um, her stress and anxiety levels. Yeah. yeah, yeah. But you know, I'm I'm no um, expert in musicism because it's I you know it's also for me I haven't had so many clients with this condition. Um, but and it's also always a case by case um, thing. So you know every. Every client is going to look different. Every client's music therapy session is going to look different. But, yeah, that's that's the work that I've been doing with her, and it's really interesting. Do you feel like because you've done psychology, um, it helped you to be a better musical therapist? Yeah, for sure. But um, also, you know, in our music therapy training, we, we do a lot of research, and with any okay. of our interventions, we have to continue – um, learning and continue looking at m the most recent research papers and so we're always yeah. drawing on literature and we have to we have to draw on literature and um, research uh, to to be able to do what we do um, just like any other profession yeah, yeah absolutely um, yeah it's, it's so fresh it's so new because uh, I, I mean like i've told you before i've heard of music therapy uh, as a as a out in, in a way like an outlet you know for for someone who has typically known music in some way shape or form before mm -hmm. but the way you're outlining it is completely different it's not just uh you know helping people to remember or it's not just uh a way for for people to uh to to enjoy their day or something like that you're literally changing 
their their uh their their lives you're you're it's like it's it's hitting their the neural pathways it's 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 completely rejuvenating them in a way that that i i don't know i've i've, I've i haven't heard before for to, for mute from music's uh use mm-hmm. and so and I love the fact also I want to want to pinpoint on this you're building relationships with these individuals as well uh and and helping them through but but they're also knowing that you're not just you're not just some other person but you're you know it's almost like a mentor or or someone willing to to go through this journey with them I I think that that I mean I could be wrong but I feel like that alone can also be a a huge uh, indicator to to the success that you have with your patients. Um, well, what do you what do you think on that? Yeah. Do, do you feel well, like because of the relationship that actually helps? Yeah, absolutely. And I think um, through um, creating music together, you can build uh, rapport very quickly, and you can mm. build a very trusting rapport as well. You know, when you think about um, sharing your musical tastes with someone. Yeah. You imagine like how many people in your life actually know like what music you like and if they do know what music you like, how much do you instantly already connect with them on some kind of level? That's true. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, so that interaction that we have through music is, um, you know, it's a special one and it's also one that can make you feel very close um, and, yeah, that's why we can build that rapport very quickly, I think. But, um, yeah, it's um, – Every, you know, I, I'm always, I always feel very honored that clients, you know, want to keep us around in their life. You know, if they're, mm-hmm. if they're fortunate enough to have enough funding um, to, to continue services over, you know, months, years. Um, because, you know, the clients that we work with, they have kind of these chronic conditions that they don't just like, you don't just fix them and they go away. Um, you know, often it is a bit of a lengthy process. Uh mm-hmm. Uh, so yeah, it's um, in Australia we have uh, funding available for people with disability. Um, it's called the National Disability Insurance Scheme, uh, but that's been amazing the past five, six, uh, it could be more um, years that it's been around for. And mm-hmm. music therapy is funded through that government funding. So okay. we're quite we're quite fortunate um, in Australia to have that funding available. Because otherwise, um, you know, prior to that, people really had a lot of trouble accessing not only music therapy, but other therapy services and health services that they really needed. So, um, yeah, yeah, we've we've got a good thing going at the moment. <laughs> do you do you feel like because I'm I'm almost a hundred percent sure I could be wrong, but I know for sure that there's no music therapy funding in the states i don't think that that's that's happening in canada right now mm-hmm. um yeah but, i actually have no idea um about what the funding situation yeah. is like. yeah but but i love the fact that that your country is willing to do um that that type of funding because um that that means they're they're willing to to look beyond what has typically worked in the past and to try something new uh yeah and I, I, and obviously that also comes from our, our profession, our professionals um, advocating a lot for music therapy and, you know, showing mm. them the research and having people actively researching um, in our field. Um, that's a, definitely a very big part of it. Uh, being, mm. you know, a non-traditional 
therapy method. Uh, but yeah, we are getting um, a lot more known. And also um, things like art therapy, dance therapy, those sort of things. Um, the creative therapies are, are really important, I think. Um, and we're getting our professions known out there. So that's, yeah, it's exciting. I think, um, you know, in the States and in Canada and how music therapy started off over here was to that there would be like charities or like funding grants available that people were using. Also, um, our major hospitals all employ music therapists. So, mm-hmm. um, yeah, I, I suppose those were the areas that people were working in uh, first before this particular funding um, became available. Can you tell us the brain functionality behind or 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 why music travels a certain way that helps people better compared sure. to other methods? Sure, yeah. So um, anything that we do uh, is our, our brain is like our control center for anything mm-hmm. that we try and do and learn. And inside our brain, um, we have these things called neural pathways, which is yeah. the word that you have said a few times as well. Um, so our neural pathways are basically those connections formed by neurons in our brain, and it enables us, it enables signals to be sent to the rest of your body. Mm-hmm. Um, and when you engage in something like music, or making music specifically, not just listening, but making music, your brain has to connect all these neural pathways from all these different areas of your brain. So like your auditory cortex, motor cortex, visual cortex, like if it connects almost all the areas of your brain when you try and play or sing. Um, So because of, yeah. I'm sorry. um, Is, is music, sort of the only thing that can do that in in such a larger scale or Ooh. or one of the better ones one of the better ones yeah okay. yeah I'd say. Okay. because when you think about how many different things that you need to do like for example when you're playing the piano your fine motor skills so your fingers need to be working at a certain speed um, you need to control them um, mm. and also like the strength as well, as well as the pace. You're also usually looking at a piece of music, so you're reading musical notation, you're Mm. um, listening to what's coming out of the piano to see if that's matching what you actually want. Um, But, yeah, so your your eyes are looking at the the sheet music and then you're also looking down at your fingers for what they're doing. Um, If you're using the pedal, then, again, that's using your motor skills in your legs. So when you compare that to any other instrument as well, you know, like guitar, you're you're doing two different things with both of your hands, right? And you're trying to match other people usually. You're trying to match it with some singing. Like there's so many things that are going on. And so your brain is actually working in overdrive using almost Mm. every area. Um, And so because of that, you're creating so many of these neural pathways um, that are – using all these different areas. And so for someone with um, who's had a stroke or like a brain injury, if what happens in their brain is because one part is injured, that part of their body or, you know, what part that um, part of your brain usually sends out the signals to, that's going to um, have a lot of trouble. Mm. And so, for example, a, a client with um, stroke who's had um, uh, the left – 
left hemisphere stroke. Um, they have a lot of trouble with speaking, um, singing. But when you try, uh, sorry, not singing, just speaking. Um, and when you ask them to sing, then their brain works using all of these other neurological pathways around them to get from, um, you know, point A to point B, being singing. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, and last time, I think when we spoke, I explained it like neural pathways are kind of like footsteps in the snow when you're trying to get from, you know, one point to another point. And the more times you take that pathway, the clearer those steps become. And that's what happens, you know, from birth to, you know, once we learn how to talk, we build up those um, pathways in our brains. But if something gets in the way of that, mm-hmm. then Engaging in music almost helps us build us a pathway that kind of goes around that area, but it still helps us get there. And because of the fact that it does engage so many different areas. Yeah. So interesting. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So, so it's literally, it's almost helping you to, to learn how to overcome obstacles in 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 a way as well. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Uh, overcome obstacles, but also access different areas of your brain, um, and build build neurological pathways. So neural pathways where there previously weren't any, or sorry, or like to use the other areas of your brain that can still build neural pathways. Neural pathways. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, and excuse my ignorance in this, mm-hmm. uh, but. Do we typically choose one path um, in, in our brain? Like, does it does it typically keep us mm-hmm. on a certain path that we're used to, and just continue to yeah. to um, to do that? Like, do we not try different ways in general? Yeah, and and is it yeah go, yeah? If you could explain that, sure. I mean, there's so much more. Like, we can't definitely say because this is kind of all theory, and every person's brain is different. But yeah, I think, um, you know, as we learn to do things, we find the most efficient way to do things. Um, mm-hmm. For for example, you know, the first time you tried to tie your shoelaces, you really had to think about, okay, I'm going to make a loop and I'm going to make another loop. But the more mm-hmm. times you do it, it becomes – your brain already solidifies that neural pathway. So you become very efficient in doing that particular task so when you do it over and over and over again your brain you know naturally have those strong neural pathways um but you know for for something like a stroke or a brain injury if that happens then you're going to have to find your next most efficient way to do it Mm. um yeah and so training it through a music music um has shown that um, it helps your brain's um, neuroplasticity. uh, So neuroplasticity is the word that we use to describe your brain's ability to grow um, Mm -hmm. and learn new things. Uh, When you compare um, musicians' brains to non-musicians' brains, they've done some like um, MRI studies, um, brain brain imaging studies on this, but we we actually have a larger corpus callosum, which is that part of your brain that connects the two hemispheres together. Um, and the reason for that is because, um, you know, music uses both sides of the brain or all areas of the brain and they um, continuously need to talk to each other. That's why the corpus callosum um, grows a little bit more for um, music mus- uh, musicians. So you probably also have, a, you know, 
bigger corpus callosum than other people <laughs> from all of your music training. Um, yeah. So that's, yeah. <laughs> sure. That, you can ter- sure you can post about that for sure. <laughs> Theoretically. <laughs> That's so interesting um, though. I, yeah. I, I love I love that whole concept. So so let me ask then, do you think that people should get you know, as a music therapist, do you feel like people should get into music anyway, um, even if it doesn't have to necessarily uh, deal with with uh, you know finding different different neural pathways or or trying to to uh, better themselves from from a from an issue like a stroke or someone who has autism? Do you, do you would you just recommend people to get into music uh, as an instrument or uh, in some way, shape, or form at all? Yeah, yeah, of course. I mean, it's a lot of fun. And, you know, it's a it's a skill that you're never going to regret having. Like it's mm-hmm. – um, and I just think, you know, music is so much about enjoying life and being human. You know, we like – right? We – music is in our everyday life. And I think it's such a shame that for, you know, most people – most people think like, oh, making music is just for musicians or, you know, professionals mm. or, you know, I, I think um, that's when sometimes like in our music therapy sessions, if I ask people to sing with me, they're like, oh, no, I don't have a good voice. But it's yeah. not about that. It's about, um, you know, the, what you can gain from that interaction, what you can gain through that experience. And, you know, for people who don't have um, those like brain injuries or whatever it is, um, it's so enjoyable. Also, um, it improves your mental health. So there are studies that um, have shown that um, singing or group singing in particular um, um, increases the amount of serotonin endorphins but also oxytocin in your brain. Mm. Um, so they're all like your feel-good hormones. But um, oxytocin um, just helps with regulating like your stress levels and um it's the it's the hormone that gets released when you hug someone so they sometimes mm-hmm. call it the hug hormone so singing can do that for your brain as well so that's why people can get those like positive mental health benefits from engaging in music and, and singing yeah yeah so definitely recommended and like you were saying you use it when you um exercise in the gym yeah. it can really keep you motivated um any kind of like high energy rhythms uh does keep your body in that high energy level because your your body entrains to that yeah mm-hmm. well let me ask you a question then this is more personal what, sure. what what's your what's your favorite type of music or favorite um genre to play or listen to or yeah. band that you like yeah, sure. Um, I have such an eclectic range of music. So growing up, um, because like I learned that. classical piano and classical music in general, I mm. definitely appreciate classical music. I love going to classical concerts. When, um, during the summer in Melbourne, actually, the, the Melbourne Symphony Orchestra do these free concerts out in oh, the beautiful. Botanical Gardens, which is, yeah, really awesome. Um, there's a, yeah, there's a lot of things happening. Actually, they didn't do it this year that. just because of the fact that, you know, COVID. But generally, yeah. in, in summer, <laughs> we can have mass gatherings and have free um, orchestra concerts um and yeah so uh, but aside from that like I love pop music like who doesn't love 
pop music. Yeah. But I, I love going out to have a dance. I'm more of an R&B, hip-hop kind of girl if I was to go out and dance. Um, but That's I cool. also, um, as a hobby, I love salsa dancing. So I'm mm. really, yeah, I'm really into salsa dancing these days. So I love listening to, like, salsa music, mambo, um, that kind of thing. So Latin that's music. Um, but then, you know, I recently, well, not really recently, he's been around for like a good number of years now, but there's this guy called Jacob Collier. Do you know mm-hmm. him? Yes. Oh, yes. He is like, he yes. is a genius. Like, yes. Also, oh, then you would know, um, know Corey Henry then. Oh, actually, I don't know that name. Oh, like, you oh, don't. Like, okay. Don't I'll write him down. <laughs> Yeah, write them down. C O R Y H E. Yeah. Okay. Oh my goodness. So the way that Jacob Collier, if you ever like listen to him speak about music, like you just know that it's it's not him playing instruments. It's just him being like being. Yeah. <laughs> like yeah. it's just his, his way of expressing. Like it's almost as natural as talking. And um, yeah, it's. I just think he's an absolute genius, and it's ridiculous. Yeah, he's- how he can process so much information. Um, yeah. But, you know, again, it's just the way that music is processed in the brain. It is probably just as simple as him breathing and um, talking that it is with where, um, music. Where is he from? He's from the UK. I yeah. UK. Okay. Yeah. Yep. Yeah, yep. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I think um, he's getting more recognition these days. Like, I think he was on um, like a late night show a few weeks ago. Okay. On Instagram. But yeah, his his music is insane. Like I just love listening to it and just just really taking it all in. Mm. Yes, yeah, awesome. so those are a few of my <laughs> musical I don't know, yeah. Like I said, it's super eclectic. Like I have so many different ways that I listen to music. But um you know how usually people like to listen to music in the car? Mm-hmm. Uh, but I was talking to another music therapist of mine. A friend of mine, and um, she was she's had the same reaction as me as I don't really listen to music in the car hmm. because of the fact that I'm using music throughout the day, like with work. Like once I sit in the car, I just prefer to listen to podcasts. So hmm. yeah, that's what I <laughs> I tend to yeah for whatever reason. Like when I want to switch off, I yeah. listen to podcasts. That's yeah. <laughs> That's cool. And yeah, many other music therapists do the same thing. <laughs> I, I mean, it makes sense. You probably listen to music all the time. And then, mm-hmm. so, you know, are you going to continue to bombard yourself, you know, with more music? Or, yeah. or, or you find a way to, to decompress, you know? Yeah. And so, I think maybe I just sense. think too much about what's going on in the music, too. Maybe not. I don't mm. know. Maybe I just want to break. Um, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Fair enough. No, I mean, you know, for me, I, you know, I, I listen to a lot of people who speak, you know, I mean, and then being in the podcast world too, you know, you, you constantly listen to podcasts, uh, you know, I'm a pastor, so I'm always listening to, yes, to other yeah. sermons, I'm always writing, you know, so stuff like that. And then, so when I'm in the car, I'm always listening to music. It's, mm-hmm. it's yeah. there's, the, I, I almost can't not listen to music uh, yeah. when when I'm in the car, because uh, I don't get that wherever I am, you know. Yeah. So, yeah, that's that's, that's funny. We're the opposite. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> oh, that's cool. Man. Anything else you want to leave with us today, uh, Yuki? As we're as we're um, finishing all this episode. 
Sure. Yeah. Um, so I also do have a podcast, which I've been a little bit quiet on, but it's called The Travelling Music Therapist. If anybody awesome. else wants to um, have a listen, I talk to generally I talk to other music therapists and I talk mm. about their experience and they also always come with like a bag full of stories as well. So it's, awesome. yeah, it's really interesting to listen um, if you wanted to find out more about music therapy. But um, otherwise, no, thank you so much for having me um, on to chat. And actually, no, there was one thing that um, last time we spoke, I forgot to bring it up. Uh, you you have an intro song. How I did do. you, yeah, um, and it's like a really like motivating kind of like energizing kind of little jingle that you yeah, use. Yeah. How did you come up with that? Did somebody make that for you? Somebody made somebody made that. Um, so yeah. it wasn't mine. It, it, I it's, it's, I actually shot him out. Um, mm-hmm. His name is Jermaine Ricketts, yeah. and um, and so he makes beats out here in Canada. Mm-hmm. Uh, we were in his basement one day listening to his beats, and um, you know he was just showing me some stuff, just showing me different things that he does. Yeah. And then when he showed me that one, I was like, Oh my goodness. And then, you know, I went wild out and I was like, listen, I need that. Yeah. And so that's, that's been the, uh, that's how I was able to find my intro. Yeah. I used to make make beats myself, Uh nowhere close to him. Um, but just just things that i i just wanted to to make for myself and just enjoy you know so that's that was kind of a yeah. thing that I, I love to do as well yeah no no can we talk about that beat so like what drew what drew you to that beat because i think you could you'll be able to yeah. see that process that that musical process so the beat um so it it, it was almost like it was telling a story uh mm-hmm. and so you know when it starts off it's like doo, 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 doo. and so it's like something is coming to um so something is something is coming up you know there's there's it's like a build up to something bigger uh but the other thing that really drew me to the beat was it, uh if you realize in the be- the first the first beat drop comes differently than i've than i've seen most beat drops and so mm-hmm. it comes on the uh i think it comes on the on the on the on the second bar instead of uh, coming on to I think the third and mm-hmm. so it just the way that it caught you off guard as well mm-hmm. was something that really brought um, brought to my attention and I just I loved it and that's why even when I made the intro to Madcasters I made mm-hmm. sure to drop um, Mad oh shoot uh, I, just, <laughs> I, made sure, <laughs> I made sure to drop Mad on the beat drop just because of how powerful it was so yeah. Yeah. yeah 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 so like what I take from that is like that little that's like anticipation right that you build up and I think that's like creating that increase in energy and I think that's what you were drawn to maybe that like and then once that beat yeah. up it's just like a really like kind of driving kind of beat mm-hmm. yeah so I think there was that you know that process that information that you were looking for when you were mm-hmm. um, um finding a beat for your podcast because you know it is about like making a difference talking to people um about um you know whatever like life experiences but like their positive life experiences. Yeah. yeah. And I think, um, yeah, I think it's the perfect beat because, no, I th- <laughs> and I think, you know, when you go in, when you have like a really strong um, idea and um, for, for your, pod- like a vision for your podcast, mm-hmm. 
Mm-hmm. And then when you heard that beat, yeah, I think it really matched the energy. I think that's um, awesome. Yeah. That's, awesome. that's cool. Thank you mm. for that. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that's great. Yuki, cool. thank you so much for, for being on our, our podcast. Um, you know, just being able to to see uh, the power of music in such a different way, I think has definitely uh, made me appreciate it more and and uh, helped me to to know how, uh, I mean, nowhere close to, to the mind and uh, the knowledge and expertise that you have uh, in this, but how, I, you know, even even someone like me who loves music, how that can possibly find a way in some ventures that I have, honestly, um, as you were talking uh, just about the music therapy uh, aspect, it, it really gave me some ideas uh, that that I that I may have in the future. So I just want to say thank you for that. Uh, it, it expanded my mind and helped me to see a different a different perspective that I think can definitely help. Um, especially our youth and society today. So really want to say thank you for coming out to our show to teach us, to help us to understand the power of music, um, to give and us more welcome. understanding of, of music therapy. Uh, and, and I hope that, you know, in, in the business that you, that you're building um, and the life that you live, it just, you continue to have much success and, and many people will be blessed by you because you're doing a wonderful, phenomenal job and, you don't work that, like I said, I think I've said this before, many people would not do. And so it, it's it's admirable that you're able to do something like this to really change lives, uh, to have that patience to work with, uh, with work with people, um, especially in that spectrum and, and giving your time and energy for that. Oh, you're welcome. Thank you so much for having me. And, you know, if anyone is interested in, you know, learning more about or maybe becoming a music therapist, um, mm-hmm. every country has their, uh, like, music therapy association. Um, mm-hmm. And so we've got our Australian Music Therapy Association. Um, they've got a Canadian one and in America as well. And I think each of the states have their own, like, branch as well. So mm-hmm. the, the, those would be the best places to go to if you are interested in finding out what there is in your area, you know, if you can study it. But, uh, yeah, if anyone is interested in working over here, I am currently way too busy. We need more music therapists <laughs> in Australia. Go. Yeah, I'm working like six days. It's insane. It's, yeah, oh, too wow. busy. Yeah. Yeah, so yeah. definitely I'm happy to welcome more people into our field. <laughs> there you go. There you go. Awesome. Thank you so much, Yuki. <laughs> Thank you. a pleasure you. to have you and looking forward to our next time. Yes. Thank you. Thank you for tuning in to today's episode of Madcasters. Please remember, do what you were called to bring into this world. Find a way to make a difference in your life and in someone else's life today, even if that's just one thing. Follow us on Instagram. Don't forget to leave a rating and review and become a Patreon supporter. Tune in next Thursday as we continue to grow and inspire because this is the launch pad for you to go mad. Mad.